Hello, and welcome to Young and Sober, the podcast where we discuss what it means to get sober under the age of 30 and stay sober. If you're sober, sober curious, or just curious, you've come to the right place. Any discussion heard here is the experience of the individual and should not be taken as the stance of AA as a whole. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm Alex, and this week, Dan and I will be chatting about work stress in recovery. How are you, Dan? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How about you? Yeah, good. This topic is very pertinent, which is why we chose it. Obviously, work has been really, really hard, but recovery tools are getting me through, you know? Yeah. So this week, we do not have a listener question. So we're just going to put out a request to listeners. If you do have a question, any topic or a burning desire to ask anything, please, please do send us a message either on the Instagram, which you know by now is at Young and Sober Podcast, or email us at youngandsoberatoutlook.com. And in the spirit of recovery and honesty, just going to tell you now that if we don't get them, we will just start making them up. So let's just see. Let's see how we go. We'd love to hear from you. So please, please do reach out. Yeah. So work stress, work stress. So just to give a bit of context, I took a break from teaching, which is what I was doing about three years ago, because I had a bit of a burnout. I say a bit of a burnout, quite a big burnout. And so I took a break and I nannied for three years. And then in January of this year, I kind of thought, you know what? I think I'm ready. I'm ready to go back to teaching. I'm also ready to start working full time for the first time in three years. And the adjustment has been really fucking hard, excuse my language. And you know, there's been there's been certain things that have come up that aren't just because I had mental health issues and have, you know, I'm an alcoholic, but the process of realizing that and working on that and being able to cope has been really eye-opening, actually. What about you, Dan? What's your experience? Yeah. So I have a few different experiences around work stress. I work in startups, kind of on the tech side. I I've worked at larger startups that are doing quite well. And I've worked at early stage startups where there you have funding concerns, you have headcount changes because maybe you want to raise more money. So you, you need to have less people. So you have to go through the process of letting people go through the process of things not working because you're a startup and you have no process in place. So there's a, a certain level of stress. And I, I took break from when I... Moved to the UK and got sober. I started working for other people. I wasn't doing my own companies anymore. And I had moved to larger funded companies. And I've recently moved back to a smaller, earlier stage company about a year and six months ago. And that has brought back a lot of those stresses. And quite often the question of why do I do this to myself? Yeah, I so get that feeling. I so get that feeling. Oh my goodness. I think the thing, though, that is always really important for me to remember here is that this is not necessarily unique to me. This is life on life's terms. This is that bridge to normal living. And so for me, the stress situation with work is not unique to being an alcoholic. What's the alcoholic part is how I react or don't react or my flight mode, you know, I'm a very much a fuck it, cut it and run. Like I always want to have that bag packed so I can just go. And the same time I choose jobs where it's like stick through it till like the bitter end. So those often clash 
And I think, you know, I have a lot of friends that work at startups and, and this stress is not unique to me being an alcoholic. And it's just important to remember that I have tools sometimes that help me better handle situations than my other friends, yeah. but also I'm at a predisposition often to not handle it as well as they would. Yeah. I don't, I don't know about you and, and that kind of outlook. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I, I think the acknowledgement that my stress is no more or no less potentially than other people that I'm working with or other people that I know, you know, in different careers, whatever. I know that other friends who work in the same industry that I do, you know, early years teaching is notoriously difficult because it's notoriously understaffed and has notoriously a hell of a lot of paperwork. And I mean, you don't go into teaching early years because of paperwork. Like who does that? You know, you go in because you love the kids. And a lot of the time, the, the you know, the long hours, my nursery's open eight till six. We don't get summer holidays. We don't get school holidays. So, you know, you're having to kind of figure out how to fit in annual leave without feeling like your kids are missing out with you being away. And I mean, this, this particular situation that I'm in now, it's a nursery that opened my first day of work there was, was when the nursery opened. So there's also been that kind of added stress of this is a new nursery. We're trying to get it on its feet. We're trying to create this ethos, you know, figuring out what our kind of values are and all of that kind of thing. But yeah, for me, it's, it's definitely been a process of recognizing that the addict in me and the alcoholic in me just wants the uncomfortable feelings gone now like immediately. And my faith in myself and my faith in my resilience has really been shaken because I've just been scared that the same thing's going to happen that did in my last job. And so I have one of the feelings gone. And I've definitely had that cut and run feeling a hundred percent. Like, am I actually built for this? And then the kind of self-flagellation of everyone else seems to be able to cope and I can't deal with it. And my, I'm struggling so much more than everyone else. But there is a book that I've talked about so many times on this podcast, but I'm just going to read a little ex excerpt from it. It's The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck. And literally the first paragraph is, says, life is difficult. This is a great truth, one of the greatest truths. It is a great truth because once we truly see this truth, we transcend it. Once we truly know that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept it, then life is no longer difficult because once it's accepted, the fact that life is difficult no longer matters. And I feel like that that just completely exemplifies the kind of recovery mindset, which is exactly like you said, life on life's terms, a bridge to normal living. Like life is going to throw stuff at us, but we need to be able to use the tools of recovery. And for me, use the tools of therapy and asking for help and all of outside help and all of that kind of thing to be able to transcend it, you know, but it's going to feel difficult. And it's just about utilizing the tools that we've been given or utilizing the tools that I've been given to deal with that stress you know and I think so much of what I've been going through recently is not fear of the work being hard but fear of the way my body is going to react to it because the last time that I I had my kind of burnout it was my body giving up it wasn't like a choice like my body was just like no you can't handle this and so it's been a process of having faith in the extra three years you know I had the breakdown at two years and having faith that the extra three years of recovery and the extra tools that I've learned and my ability to use them is so much more than it was before. And, you know, we've, we've talked about the five year, five year hump, and that's definitely been a part of the process because I turned five years in March and it's, it's just kind of, it's, it's hard. Like it's, 
exponentially easier than my early recovery was. You know, it's hard in different ways because there's so many more things that have come into my life since then. And in a sense, I feel like there's more to lose. Is that, does that, it feel that way for you as well? Yeah, I think, I think more to lose, more to gain. I think sometimes as well, like, you know, there's more opportunity out there. So, you know, you may be reaching for things that require more work, require stretching yourself. But yeah, no, definitely more to lose and less. I, I mean, I, I think oftentimes it feels like less, you know, like it's really nice when you're in early recovery and like you walk into a meeting and people, people want to like talk to you, right? Like, yeah. you know, that idea of the newcomer being the most important person in the room. And I have a lot of friends that have a good amount of time that hate that saying, like they get really, cause they're like that may not be the case. They may not be the person that needs the most help in that meeting at that moment. And so, you know, like every saying in AA, you can have a resentment against it and you can think it's useful at the same time, right? Like I remember being my first meeting and people being like, welcome, you're the most important person in the room. I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, thanks. Makes me feel great. And I think there's a, you know, quite often there's this culture of like how you share or reflect recovery and sharing in meetings about being positive or sharing negative stuff. And I think work stress is something that people don't like to talk about because it doesn't, where's does it fall, right? Like, okay, you're, you've got time and you're dealing with a deck that like, you know, people are like, oh, cool. Yeah. Makes sense. People are dealing with, you know, a breakup. Okay, cool. Oh, work stress, right? I, you know, well, yeah, but you have a job and you have that job because of recovery. So why are you venting about work stress? Right. And. I mean, it's complete bullshit, share whatever you want. But I think that quite often factors into people's minds. And so you then go to your network of people in AA, you know, it's more those different things. But I, I think for me, quite this year where I work remotely and so I'm, I'm at home for, for most of the day, I get out and I was getting really agitated. And to be honest, it was a very frustrating situation about what was going on in the company, but I was, I was vile. I was like, if you crossed me, I was gonna, I was gonna savage you. Like, and it's a small, small team. I just, I was tired of going certain ways. And like, I have, I, I actually am a relatively low key kind of laid back person when it comes to stress. I, I don't, it takes a lot for me to get there. And I had to check myself and like, I up my meetings, my interaction with AA because of it, but I was snapping pencils. So it's like a, quite a therapeutic thing. If you're stressed to like have something snap and pencils are really good for that, except it's like a major anger management sign, right? My girlfriend called me out on it. It was like, you need to stop snapping pencils. Like, yeah, but it just, it, you know, I mean, it was, it was something that I didn't need to stop doing and I needed to assess myself and do some inventory and, and talk to some people and figure it out. But at the same time, like snapping pencils meant I didn't go and pick up a drink. I didn't feel close to a drink, but I also felt it was a relatively harmless activity. It was just like a stress fall that broke. But yeah, so I, I think absolutely like there's the stress of work is that, but you know, I had other colleagues that were dealing with the same type of stresses and some of them handle it better and others maybe not. So. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think the other thing kind of bouncing off what you were saying about, you know, either either feeling stress 
easily or having it be quite a lot to stress you out. I, I would say that I feel stressed quite easily. Yeah. I mean, I'm good in a crisis, but I think prolonged stress is, is something that I definitely struggle with. Like, like I was saying earlier, my perceived ability to handle it the way that I believe that I can handle it is very low. And so it's, it's really been a process of, of looking at, you know, at this point in my, rec- my recovery, I can actually handle it, but I have less, less faith in myself than I could have. And there's very much, you know, they talk about a lot in recovery, black and white thinking and in CBT, which I'm actually doing right now, I'm seeing a CBT therapist on the NHS, which is amazing. I'm so grateful that, that I managed to get her and she's, she's great because it's kind of a lottery. Like you never really know what kind of therapist you're going to get, but they talk about discounting the positive. And I've definitely been very black and white in the sense that some days I'm flying high and I'm like, I'm an amazing teacher. I'm so good. I'm the best in my company this, that, and the other, everyone should be doing things my way. But then I get a criticism and I'm like, I'm terrible at my dog. I'm terrible. Like I should be better. I'm not good enough. You know, this person is able to do this and I can't do it. This person's able to do this and I can't do it. At this point in my recovery, I should be better. And that kind of links into the sharing, like you said as well, where sometimes I get into my head that I just constantly need to be sharing a positive message. And in my early days, I didn't feel that pressure because I kind of felt like, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't even really aware of how my sharing was affecting other people. Like it was just all about me and all about how I was struggling. And I had this childhood and this, that, and the other. And my sharing, my sharing definitely has, has changed. And I think it is exponentially more positive, more positive, but you know, for me, it's often, I do still share about the struggle, but I tend to then caveat it with, but I have the tools. And these are the things that I'm doing, this, that, and the other, in the sense that I feel like sometimes, not always, a newcomer will hear it and be like, okay, yeah, I'm feeling that. I'm going through that. Maybe I can implement these tools. And I mean, the tools that I am leaning into more and more, like I'm now doing, I found like a really, really great commute meditation on YouTube. So I like listen to it on my commute because obviously you don't want to be like closing your eyes while you're walking on your way to work. So it's kind of catered towards that. And it's really transformed my day. And then, you know, I've talked about it a lot on this podcast. I've been writing letters to God every night. I've been talking to my sponsor at least twice a week at the moment because that, you know, she always, always, always makes me feel better and helps me to ground. And then asking for help. You know, I last weekend, one of the things that kind of falls by the wayside straight away is like me tidying and cleaning my flat like it just completely falls by the wayside and I called my mom and was like look I feel like I can't handle it please can you come around and help me clean my flat and she did and it kind of felt like you know once my environment felt less hectic I did find myself when I was at home feeling less hectic and also you know picking up the phone and calling other people in recovery especially one of my best friends is also a nursery teacher but she's been doing it for seven years I'd only been doing it for four or five and being able to share it with somebody that really understood where I was coming from was really great. And that's not to say, you know, just sharing with somebody in the industry helps. It shares, it, it helps to share with, with people who are going through similar stuff. And the only way that you know people are going through similar stuff is by sharing what's going on for you, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think what's really interesting for me is I find a tough balance between if I am immensely grateful for the life I have and... I actually think that when I, like I get, when I get into a meeting, I kind of reflect on the fact that, wow, I'm fucking sober, right? Like that's my, I, I hear people come in and I'm like, oh yeah, no, my life isn't like that anymore. My life is drastically different. 
I remember how I got to sleep last night. That was not true for so long. That like any of my problems that I feel like I have right now really drift to the back of my mind because none of it really matters. Now, like there's some stuff that does matter and there's some stuff that I need to attend to. There always is, right? And I have the, the mindset like there's always more I could be doing. So I would fire me. If I was my manager, I would fire me. That is my default mindset. Because if a manager asked me what I did or what I was doing, I would be able to tell them every reason why they should fire me. And, and sometimes maybe they, that's the right thinking. Maybe I need that. Oftentimes I don't. That's just my default mindset, right? Imposter syndrome is a big thing that I will feel. And so that plays into it. But once again, that is no different than any of my other peers. That has nothing to do with me being an alcoholic. The, the alcoholic side for me in my experiences, how I react to it, what I, what I do afterwards or what I would have done, right? And for me, it's what I would have done. Now I just call it as I see it. I see it as something else other people deal with. You know, I like my space, my, like I need my flat to be ordered and my flat is so far from being ordered. Like when you were just saying that, I was going to show you the camera, like there's a massive pile of clothes like right next to me yeah. that needs, that needs to go away. There's like dust in places. Like there's all these things that are just obviously need to be dealt with. Uh, and I have fallen into the routine of like, wake up, work, finish work, and just like not want to do anything else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's for me, like I, I play a lot of football. I talk about it. I have a Peloton right in my house. Like I have to, if I'm getting stressed, I like will go on footy addicts and I will find a game to play even if it's in the middle of the day or I will go do a ride on the bike or just, you know, because now can use exercise as a way to create space. I will go and pray, you know, if I'm have meetings in town, I may just stop in a church and yeah. just go pray for me. You know, those are, and what's funny is I have a lot of friends that get stressed and they don't do that, right? They don't have any of that. And, you know, they de-stress by drinking and, but they can do that normally. And I, I, I think that that is, you know, they're able to say, oh, I'm going to go to the, the pub after work. They have two pints and they go home and they feel relaxed. Whereas I know if I did that, I would like, you know, be caning it for the next like, you know, five days. So it is about coping strategies and coming up with what your recovery coping strategies are and. They, they don't always need to be calling people in the rooms. There can be other things because that's how people deal with things. They find yeah. hobbies and things to do. Yeah, a hundred percent. I actually, I had a really interesting conversation last night and I'd be so interested to know what you think and feel about it. I was talking to a guy who is not in recovery. I was at a graduation party for my friend who's just finished her PGCE and he was talking about ambition and he was talking about how this vision that he has for himself of a vineyard in Italy, which is where he, he wants to get to, to have this, this life that he's created to be able to provide for his kids, who he doesn't have yet, which he doesn't have yet. And, you know, just, just that, that's what drives him. And he's very much like a money-oriented guy. And it just kind of got me thinking about the difference in the way that I, first of all, handle stress, because, you know, the, the recovery community talks about just for today. And how that kind of helps us to be more present and to accept things as the way they are and to understand that just because things are difficult doesn't mean it's going to be that way forever. It's just difficult for today and all of that kind of stuff. And it just kind of made me think about how I don't really think about the future. 
because I find it kind of gets me into a difficult headspace of I'm not achieving enough by this point in my life. I'm not achieving enough by this point in my recovery. You know, they talk about how in the future, living in the future is anxiety and living in the past is depression and how contentment is in the present, in the present. And yeah, it, it just, it really made me think about how even in times of calm at work, I don't really think about the future. I mean, there's a part of me that thinks like, oh, I would love to be a nursery manager one day. But for me, it's about accepting that that might not happen. And if that doesn't happen, it's okay. And then we were talking about as well, identity and where we place our identity. And, you know, my identity is very much an inside job. And I try really hard these days, which is not something that I did in the past, not to place my identity on my job or my career, because if that gets taken away for whatever reason, and my identity is placed in that, then what happens when it's gone? I don't have anything left, you know? So yeah, I wondered about how, how you feel about ambition and looking, looking into the future or having like a five-year plan or a 10-year plan. And then also about how kind of just for today factors, factors into your work, work life if it, if it does at all. I think one of the things that if I'm honest, I still really struggle with is like my drinking really like fucked up my life plan, yeah. right? Like I, ideal situation, like I had always wanted a, a family when I was young. I grew up with young parents, like my, I, my parents had me at 25, which, you know, by my, where I grew up, most of my friends' parents were like 10 years older than my parents. And, you know, so I'm 32, almost 33. My parents aren't even 60 yet. Right. So like, I, I love that. I loved having young parents and that's what I wanted. And then I discovered this thing called alcohol and that wasn't the case. I'm now 32 with, without kids which is not the situation I wanted to be in. So I find five-year plans really tough because I think there's a bit of reality of where my situation is and I, I get uncomfortable about it. I could say it's because of my recovery, but I think there's probably something that's just there a bit, bit more. I think the other thing though is I, I grew up in a relatively affluent town with quite successful people. And so I saw necessarily what like what getting a lot of materialistic things do and how it didn't bring happiness to those people yeah um and i saw the people that lived in that town that had been successful but they had a faith they had family they had these other things and they were immensely more happy yeah. um in their lives so i'm not good at being ambitious like towards pure monetary thing i mean you know i don't shy away from it but it, it doesn't drive me one of my best friends, former business partner who I've done companies with is incredibly money motivated and very good at being money motivated. And I, I do envy that sometimes. And so I, I think there, there is a level though, of just for today. Right. But I think that's because like, what is the most important thing in my life? It is staying sober. Right. Yeah. That, and, and sounds corny and, but I, I really like, that's all that matters because nothing else matters. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm quite a, like, you know, it's a super American cliche, but like I'm God family country, right? Like, so my, my recovery sits right in there. The most important thing is my relationship with a God of my understanding. The next thing is with my family. The next one is, well, yeah, like, I guess it would be country because, you know, that's what you do, but we're not trying to get all patriotic on this. <laughs> I, I, I just, I, I think for me, that's like, you know, those roles and responsibilities that you do out in recovery, like 
my living amendments to a lot of people is that I stay sober. Yeah. And so I, I try to remember that. That's why gratitude is so important to me. I don't know. I don't know that I really answered your question. I guess from, from my side, the thing and, and thinking about if somebody is listening to this and, and say, why am I listening to this? What is it, you know, what are the, the tools that you, you find yourself really leaning on when dealing with stress at work? I think being honest with my, with my management and my colleagues about what I'm going through, not necessarily to the point where I'm like, I can't do it, which is what is in my head. Cause I don't want them to know that I don't think I can do it, but just, I'm really struggling. You know, I'm not sleeping right now and finding it really stressful. There was a point, um, about four or five weeks ago where I asked to finish work an hour early. So I just did nine to five instead of nine to six. And that was only for two weeks, but they granted that to me. They're very, very mental health savvy in, in the the place that I work, which is great. They don't know I'm in recovery, but they know that I'm in therapy and they know my mental health history. So, you know, for me, those things are definitely, you know, symbiotic. They come hand in hand and being able to share with them how my mental health is and that I'm struggling with anxiety or I'm feeling really low or whatever has just meant that there's been a little more understanding from people tiny things like every now and again I had to leave my room to have a cry <laughs> so they would just like send someone in to watch my kids while I went out to have a little week and then leaning into meetings and sharing honestly gratitudeless like you said and one of the things that I heard in a meeting a little while ago was a woman who had just reached her eighth, eighth year in sobriety and she said that her sponsor told her to write a list of things that early sobriety her would be grateful for that she had now and so that's definitely the, something that I've been looking at, you know, even if work is really hard and I'm really struggling and I feel like I'm not doing life properly, I am able to pay my bills. I am living by myself. I've kept my dog alive. I've kept myself alive and I've stayed sober. And, you know, I don't crave drink on a daily basis anymore. I don't feel close to picking up a drink, even when I'm having a really hard time. And to look at all those things and to just kind of, you know, I, d I don't want to count any feelings in that I think you know it's very important for me to say you know it really is okay not to be okay like just because you have all these things doesn't mean that your feelings are not valid but to kind of just shift the perspective and you know in, in meetings they talk about right sizing a lot and when I kind of shift that perspective it just means that the struggles that I'm having or the stress that I'm having is less all-consuming and when I look at how much I've progressed since my early sobriety it just helps to kind of reignite, I guess, my faith in my ability to sit with, with discomfort. And then again, I mentioned earlier, you know, I write letters to God every night. I do a meditation on my way to work in the morning, and sometimes I'll do one at lunchtime as well. I make sure I get outside for my lunch break so I'm not sat in my work environment. I go and sit in the park nearby for an hour and just kind of like breathe in nature. I mean, as much nature as you're going to get in the middle of London. But and I reach out to friends, you know, I let my support network know that I'm struggling. And, you know, there's really little things like last Sunday, I got a message from my colleague saying, don't bring lunch in tomorrow. And I got to work and she'd made me a meal for lunch. She'd made me a meal that I could take home for dinner. She bought me a box of chocolates and she'd written this beautiful message in a card about like, you are loved, you're great at your job. And, you know, we, we all really care for you and we're, we're behind you. And if I hadn't told them that I was struggling, that wouldn't have happened. And yeah, I think just just leaning into my support network. I'm very lucky that I have a family who's incredibly supportive and understanding of mental health and friends that are the same. So I think 
yeah, those are the kind of tools that I've utilized. What about you? I mean, you know, I just picked up a major resentment. So, you know, I'm, I've never had somebody make me a meal, write me a letter, <laughs> love me that I work with. I don't even know how many of my friends have done that. I'm going to have to get on their back. I mean, she is an angel of a human. Yeah, sounds like it. Is she taking like applications for like more friends or something? <laughs> I'll pass on your number. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I'm joking and sending my friends a listen. You're all great. Yeah, I, I think for me, a lot of it is the basics that, you know, like going back to basics when I find myself in periods of stress or anything, it's up my meetings, up my contacts and do what else I know works for me, like working out, praying, going to sleep early. So like, you know, I can then wake up early and kind of get ahead. My sleep's really important. Yeah. Uh, trying to trying to check what else is going on like if i i'm probably like not having enough water like stupid things that just like increase my irritability increase this the stress gets there yeah. one thing that's really interesting from and part of this comes from like my own personal relationships i've actually seldom found myself going to my aa network for advice around work things that's one of the things that i i've always found quite interesting i've i have a lot of friends that call their sponsors or even just friends to talk about work things. Whereas like I have a, a quite strong professional network. And, and so, you know, whether it's family members, like, you know, I, I definitely go to my dad a lot for, for work things. If I want a more objective opinion though, I'll go maybe outside him. Um, yeah. But so I actually really struggle to bring my work issues to AA, not for any other reason than I have my first port of call is often outside of it when it comes to something like that. And it's something that I've looked at and, and wondered if I should do more of. I think the other thing is, and I've probably picked up another resentment. Like, I don't know that I have the ability in the industries that I've worked in or the type of jobs to be as open about changing work schedules, stuff like that. I think now it's starting to be different, but I think, you know, for me recently, I got a promotion of a kind, like those, the title sounds nice and everything. And I, I like hated putting it on LinkedIn because I like, don't like, I don't like the attention of people being like, oh, like, yay, congratulations to you. I, I, I just don't want, I don't want the attention. Um, oh my God, I want all of it. So I, I had friends that messaged me and I was like lowering the, the whole thing, right? I was like, well, it's really just this, this and this. It's so it sounds better it's for external purposes, whatever the reason was. But I think along with that is something where I then don't feel comfortable saying X, Y, Z, because I, I feel like a, a level I need to raise and meet expectations. And, you know, if people ask me, I think it's very much like the social side of life, right? Most people, if they ask you how you're doing, they don't really care. Yeah. And so in a work context, I, I generally assume that. Now I'll be more open, direct people if they really push me. But generally speaking, I do find it hard to open up at work, which is why I think it's much more about seeing that that's how everybody else is. And if I can change it, like the people that I manage, I try to, to create the space for them maybe to be a bit more open about things. Mm. But I do, I do think it's difficult and probably a lot of people listening will be saying, I, I don't know that I could be that open, that transparent. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and I think, you know, so besides verging on jealousy or resentment towards your job and the people you work with, which sounds great, maybe we should all become nursery teachers. This is what I'm learning from this. 
is, yeah, I just think it's the basics for me. It really is leaning into the program because I feel like it's the the thing I've said throughout the whole episode. My experience has always been that everybody else deals with this and it's just how I react to it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And so I think it's those things. But yeah, is there anything else on your mind, Alex, while we're here? I think two things. I think the phrase compare and despair is something that's really... I don't know that one, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I like it. I like it already, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's really pertinent, I think, in the sense that I often will look around and think they're going through the same thing and they're able to handle it better than me or, you know, this person in recovery at the same stage as me seems to be further along or even just little things like I don't have a partner to support me through this and a lot of other people do and... Yeah, compare and despair. And you know, there's there's so many facets to that. And I think when I understand that that's what I'm doing, I can kind of acknowledge it and catch it and reframe it. Yeah, and I think just just like you said, kind of acceptance of what is in my control and what isn't, you know, that age-old thing of the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept what I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. And I, I always do much better when I acknowledge that the only thing that I'm in control of is my choices and my actions and my behavior, you know, and paint of pen and tongue in the sense that, I mean, in my, in my kind of job, it's, it's predominantly women. And, you know, without sounding anti-feminist about it, I do, I do call myself a feminist. The way that people deal with things tends to be a lot more passive aggressive. And so the restraint in the sense of not getting stuck into the gossip, not, you know, bad mouthing people, not taking it so personally when other people bad mouth me, that's been a big part of it as well. So yeah, I think compare and despair and restraint and pen and tongue and serenity prayer. Those are just three more things that I would call attention to. What about you? Are you a just for today card person? Do you like read it in the day? I actually recently gave my just for today card away to somebody who's not in recovery and is really struggling with mental health, but also has a partner who's just gone into rehab. So right now, no, but I'm not, I mean, I'm not a daily reader of it, but every now and again, I will, if I feel like I need a bit of a shift, I'm guessing you're not. No. Well, so I, I like had an issue with it when I first came into recovery. I really am like the, the dress well line because like for me, if I dress well every day, like I got to be like rocking a suit. I'm not good at the moderation thing. <laughs> I consider most of what I, I wear to be not well. So like I'm pretty anti-athleisure, even though I live in athleisure. So I really, I like, to be honest, I created like a mental block around because of that. I think it's, I think it's great though. I, I think it's really important. I think that idea of being able to, do something for 12 hours that you, if you had to do it for your lifetime, you wouldn't, you know, I, I find that there's two times I probably think about that the most. And one is work and the other is around fitness stuff, right? Like I can, this last sprint for, you know, cause it's only going to last two minutes. I'd sprint this long for the rest. You know, it's the same at work. If I have to talk to this person one more time about the same thing on, yeah. But it's no, like I can create that patience and understanding. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think the the last thing is probably around work stress, and we can we can talk a bit about this before we wrap. Is the the culture of drinking and work stress, and then when you're not in that, because there's a collective stress that people feel and they want to go let off, and 
you don't get to partake in that ritual in the same way. And I I don't know if you find that, if you've had to deal with that at all. Oh my gosh, a hundred percent. And actually yesterday. So I was going to this graduation thing, but two of the girls, I had a half day yesterday and two of the girls who I'm closest to said like, oh, come to the park. We've like got a bottle of wine. They know that I don't drink, but they, they don't know that I'm in AA. Yeah. Come to the park. We've got a bottle of wine. And then they were like voice video calling me throughout the night, just like getting more and more and more drunk. And to be fair to them, they were only calling me to be like, we love you. We miss you. We wish you were here. But yeah, I mean, that's how they were letting off steam from, from this week. You know, it was a really hard week at work. And one of them handed in her notice this week. And yeah, that's what they were doing. And you know, teachers like party hard. They a hundred percent do. And I think that's, that's definitely part of the, the, you know, you have to be on, you have to be totally on and like lively and exciting for the kids all day. And so part of how they, they relieve stress is just to go and get drunk. And yeah, that really has been part of the process. We're actually going for leaving drinks tonight. So I'll, I'll keep you posted on how that goes. Yeah. I I think it's, it's really interesting because there's a level to which when people they start to talk about they need to de-stress and they yeah. just go straight to alcohol. It's one of the few times where you get that. Yeah. So like, what do you do? Like, yeah. how, like, how do you deal with this? Right. Yeah. Like, well, to be honest, you're annoying the heck out of me right now. So I need something even more than I did before I got here. <laughs> You've asked me this question three times because apparently, you know, I, I will never understand the UK work drinking culture, like work drinks and everything. The level to which I see people get drunk around their colleagues yeah. makes me uncomfortable, even when yeah. I don't work with the people. Yeah. So I think, yeah, for me, it's finding other outlets. And, I, you know, I will often, I do get asked, oh, what do you do? How do you deal with the stress? And, you know, that's, I, I just find it interesting that quite often people don't know how to comprehend dealing with the stress outside of drinking. Yeah. Like, well, and I try not to be smug. It's like, yeah. oh, I deal with it in, ha- in healthier ways. Yeah. 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 And I mean, just to draw attention to something you said, I think, you know, you said it kind of in passing, but sleep hygiene is so, so, so important to me. And, you know, my nighttime routine is, is that I put my phone away generally at like nine o'clock during the week. And it takes me about two hours to wind down. So I, I just start that process relatively early, like about nine o'clock. And yeah, you know, if, if I'm going through insomnia, it's something that I really, really, really have to work on because as everybody knows, I'm sure lack of sleep is an absolute killer. And especially if you're working with kids, you're so irritable and so short tempered and you have to restrain yourself so, so, so much. So yeah, in times of stress, I'm always incredibly grateful for, for good sleep. And on that note, what are you grateful for today? Yeah, I'm grateful for getting to an in-person meeting I hadn't been to since before the pandemic because I met a newcomer that wanted to go to a meeting. And so I suggested going to the Saturday Bethel Green meeting. I got to see some people. I still am running into people I've not seen for like three years at meetings, which is just lovely to, to see people. I was able to, I had to rearrange my schedule a bit. So I, I actually got up early to play football at eight, which means my sleep hygiene was terrible because I did not go to sleep until like two. Um, so I am, I'm grateful though that, you know, I was able to, yeah, just get to a meeting and see people. And I was able to have a terrible game of football because I didn't get enough sleep, but it was still a good morning. Good. What about you? I am grateful for my support network. You know, I feel like I, 
would have really, really struggled to get through the last couple of months of, you know, genuinely being depressed and just really, really struggling with stress without them. I, I feel like I, I wouldn't have done it. So yeah, incredibly grateful for my support network. And as always for not having to pick up a drink through it. Really, really. And for not having the desire to. Yeah. So thank you everyone for joining us. We will be back next week with a speaker and a topic or maybe just to chat with us two, us four. Actually, I think it's four of us next week. Please do like and subscribe. If you have any questions or feedback about what you've heard today, we would love to hear from you. Also, if you've got any questions, please send them through on Instagram at Young and Sober Podcast or email us at youngandsober at outlook.com. That is it for another episode. We are Young Sober.